Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. If people think the country is on the wrong track and are upset, it's usually really bad news for the party in power. The Democrats have a very difficult challenge on their hands when it comes to the midterm. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. I think there's a lot of pent-up demand for electing a woman, and I think 2022 could be the year of the woman. I see the demand that we have today as the baseline for the future. It means our economy is roaring back. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Twas the Monday after Christmas, and all through the Capitol, not a creature was stirring. Because they were all gone. Even the president and first lady have now left the bubble to enjoy the last week of the year from scenic Delaware. But we are still working here at Bloomberg, as you've been hearing throughout the day. That includes the fastest hour in politics. And coming up, we will have the latest on COVID, its impact on the Biden agenda, and what Omicron could mean for policy going forward. Later, we'll talk with Adam Goodman, partner at Ballard Partners, about lessons learned in 21 that will define 2022 and we have the signature panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us. First, the one piece of business that President Biden had to handle before he left town for New Year's today was to attend a meeting on the COVID response, including members of the National Governors Association in the mix today. The president telling reporters who were allowed in the room for a couple of moments at the top of that meeting that he is pushing for more access to COVID testing. And now I I know the lines have gotten very long in some states. That's why I ordered FEMA to set up pop-up sites in places with high demand to shorten the wait. We stood up six new sites in New York City in five days, and there are more coming. For over-the-counter at-home tests, as I said, there, there, there were none when we took office. None. Now we have eight on the market, and just three days ago, another test was cleared. So more are coming later than we needed, but more are coming. And new questions today about requiring testing, if not full-on vaccinations, for domestic travel, domestic flights. Something Dr. Anthony Fauci talked about on MSNBC. That is just another one of the requirements that I think is reasonable to consider. And I think that's what you're talking about when you heard me make a comment. You know, there's requirements that you might want to get if you want to get into college or you want to go to a university or you want to work in certain places. When you make vaccination a requirement, that's another incentive to get more people vaccinated. Reasonable to consider, says Dr. Fauci. And that is the foundation of our discussion today with Larry Levitt. Executive Vice President for Health Policy at Kaiser Family Foundation. Larry, thanks for being here. After a weekend of flight cancellations, canceled Broadway shows and concerts, you get the sense we're about to see a major change in federal policy? Well, uh, there uh, there are certainly some, some needs out there, particularly around testing. Uh, you know, we've got a perfect storm right now of the holidays and Omicron surging across the country and not enough tests to go around, whether that's at-home tests or, you know, PCR tests that you have to go go in and uh, get tested in, in person. So, uh, you know, the Biden administration has announced some new initiatives to increase testing, but it's, uh, it's frankly coming a little bit late. What do you make of Dr. Fauci's comments about at least considering uh, vaccine mandates for domestic flights. It was interesting, the, the choice of words. He said reasonable to consider, but also made clear that he thought it would simply be another incentive for people to get a shot. Would it work? 
Yeah, I mean, doc, Dr. Fauci is always quite measured <laughs> in his comments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we have seen uh, a plateauing of, of vaccinations. Um, and, you know, the people out there who are not yet vaccinated um, are mostly not going to do it voluntarily. So, you know, unless we make it hard for people to kind of live their lives uh, uh, without getting uh, vaccinated, we're, we're not going to see a, a big increase in vaccination. And, you know, this, this Omicron wave should make it clear that vaccination is the way to protect people from serious illness. Uh, and uh, frankly, a, a booster as well is increasingly necessary to, to protect people. Would vaccines make more people safe on planes specifically, or is it that incentive uh, just to give people another reason to get the vaccine so they can go on and live their lives. And I ask you that because we recently heard from the CEOs from the major airlines here in Washington, and they maintain still and say they've got the data to back it up that that commercial airliners are among the safest places to be when you're around other people. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but I think the, the science uh, has increasingly showed that that planes are, are pretty safe. I mean, it's somewhat counterintuitive, right? I mean, you're cooped up in a in a tin can with a whole bunch of people, you yeah. know, 30,000 feet up in the air, and that, that doesn't feel like the safest place to be with a, with a virus uh, spreading around. But, you know, the key is ventilation, right? The key is um, getting the virus out of the air and, and cleaning the air, and planes are, are quite good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is more about just making it tough for people to exist unvaccinated uh, and, and requiring it on planes would be one more way to do that. Uh, you know, obviously there's also the Biden administration's requirement that employers require vaccination or, uh, or testing large employers. Um, and that'll, you know, that's, that'll be before the Supreme court in January. So it we'll sure will. Yeah. Vaccine mandates become, um, you know, a, a, a real dividing line in, in America. Right will that now. case be uh, a turning point? Oh, I, I think it very, very well could, um, and uh, you know, it would have a huge effect to to require large employers, which uh, you know, where a lot of people work, uh, to to be vaccinated or or test regularly, which would be you know, quite a pain for many people. I want to ask you about the testing versus vaccine conversation, as we now have uh, great demand for testing, and of course, we don't have great supply. I was in New York. Uh, for a couple of days last week and looking at lines wrap around the block for free testing. Uh, there are people going to stores who are finding that, you know what, there's no test to buy in many cases. And well, this isn't new. This is something the government could have been working on uh, for months, if if not over a year by now. Larry, how did we get caught so short? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you look at these testing lines and it's like uh, Soviet bread lines, right? Um, Absolutely. Uh, which you don't expect to see in this country. Uh, and, you know, we've been kind of a day late and a dollar short on, on in many respects in our response to the pandemic, and, and testing is the latest example of that. Um, you look at other countries like the UK, you can you know, walk into a pharmacy and get a free test, order it online. You know, Germany, they, they cost a euro. Um, uh, here, they're expensive, you know, 24 bucks for, for a package of two tests, and that's even if you can find them, which you generally can't right now. Um, and there, there are a number of uh, uh, steps that the government could have taken to, to avoid this. One is, is committing to buying a whole bunch of tests. The Biden administration is now committed to, to buying and distributing 500 million tests. That could have happened months ago, which would have created a market for these tests uh, and made them available to people to free. 
uh, for free. Um, and, you know, the FDA has been slow to uh, approve new tests. So there's just not as much competition here as there are as there is in other countries. I just wonder if we took our eye off the ball when the vaccines came along. Before that, it was only testing. And then we stopped talking about at-home testing. A lot of workplaces got lax about it because, you know, they had a bunch of employees who were vaccinated. And I just wonder, that being the prize, clearly, to be vaccinated and boosted, if that drew our attention away from another uh, way to actually control the spread. Well, I, I think it did. I mean, it felt, vaccines felt like the magic bullet. And, uh, you know, we, we love those magical solutions sure we do. To, to problems. We're uh, Americans. But, you know, yeah, exactly. But yeah, sometimes it's a little more complicated than that. Uh, you know, there was a lot over the summer uh, and into the fall after the Delta wave. There was a lot of discussion that, you know, maybe we were done with this. We, we saw our last wave and then Omicron came along. Um, so I, I think we did uh, we, we did take our, our eye off the ball to, to some extent and, and kind of hope that vaccines would get us out of this. And, it, you know, frankly, it, it would have been a lot better if we had more people vaccinated. How bad would this winter be, all that said? If there were no Omicron, knowing that it was the cold weather season, knowing that this is the time of year when we see cases go up. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we certainly would have seen a surge in cases uh, with, with this holiday season and, and the winter with people spending more time indoors. Uh, but we, we would not have seen the kind of spread we're seeing now with Omicron. Um, you know, certainly among vaccinated people, uh, they were you know, quite well protected from certainly severe illness and death, but also from, from getting infected at all. And, and Omicron is really different. I mean, we're seeing so many breakthrough cases among people who are vaccinated. Still not an increase in hospitalizations, uh, which, is, which is the fortunate thing. But, um, you know, in parts of the country where uh, fewer people are vaccinated, uh, the next few weeks could be really rough. Larry, you specialize in health policy at Kaiser. I wonder if you see the policy going forward being one on a on a state level or, or more of a federal based policy with what we're hearing out of the White House right now. I think it'll be it'll be a combination of both. I mean, the Biden administration realizes they've got to take some control over uh, over what's going on, uh, but a lot of the tools uh, for public health are at the state level. Um, you know, things like mask mandates or vaccine mandates are are much easier to do at the state level. Uh, than, than at the federal level, and you know we're we're still a really divided country. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's hard to uh, to get everyone together, even even in the face of a pandemic. Would you get together with family this New Year's weekend? Uh, we would, and and we are. Uh, you know, we're all uh, vaccinated and yeah. and boosted, uh, except for the kids, and um, uh, and you know, testing ahead of time to to keep things safer. Larry Levitt, Executive Vice President for Health Policy at Kaiser Family Foundation. We've learned a lot from you this year. I hope we can continue learning from you next year. Larry, come back and see us in 22. Oh, that would be terrific. Have a, have a safe and, and uh, happy holiday. And you, sir. Some tough COVID headlines. On the terminal today, long before we spoke with Larry, Fauci says domestic travel vaccination rules should be considered. Truck drivers to seafarers quit as COVID shutters borders again. Apple closes New York City stores to shoppers. And did you hear this from France? France to send workers home to rein in Omicron's spread. The government forcing people to work from home, as I read, for most of next month to contain the spread. All while President Biden, of course, says there will be no big shutdowns here. 
Will he be saying that in a month is the question. Are airlines next, as we just discussed with Larry? All of these come with huge political ramifications. What a difference across the ocean. Workers that have the option, as I read in France, to stay away from the office must do so a minimum of three days, if possible, four days a week to help reduce social contacts. This coming from the prime minister today after a special cabinet meeting convened by President Emmanuel Macron. Time to assemble the panel. Fresh off the holiday weekend, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us. I have to say I miss them. The week is just too long. We'll dig into all of this coming up and check traffic and the markets on the way on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew, back with you in Washington, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. It is feeling familiar when you hear stories like Apple closing stores to shoppers in New York City and Goldman Sachs mandating boosters as it stands by its office return plan. It feels like private enterprise is still leading the way through COVID as opposed to government policy in many cases. So let's assemble the panel and discuss where we left off with Larry Levitt. We have Rick and Jeannie for the hour. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Hope you both had a great holiday weekend, and it's great to be back on with you. I wonder, Jeannie, if if private enterprise, if we could go even further, is making the hard decisions that the government won't make. It's in a position where it has to, and I hope you had a great holiday, Joe, you and your family. Um, it, it's really, it, they have really no choice at this point. So in New York City, as you know, there is a mandate that's impacting about 184, 85,000 companies, which yeah. say when private sector employees return, they have to show one vaccination to return to work. But, you know, Outside of that mandate, and, and Bill de Blasio leaves office at just a few days, he'll be replaced by the incoming new mayor. But he put in place this really tough requirement, one of the toughest in the world at this point. As he leaves office, it's unclear if it's going to remain. But it's either going to be the cities and municipalities following his lead or states or the federal government, or it's going to be private sector employees who want to keep their employees safe and who take every step they can to do that. What are we thinking here, Rick, as we see uh, President Biden meeting with the governors, talking about this today, trying to catch a couple headlines, maybe on a Monday between holidays when people might be paying attention. I hope you had a great holiday weekend and, and you, that you weren't in the throes of all of this madness. But, you know, families were testing again on, on Saturday morning before they got together. Uh, and it really is a back to the future feel. Does, does the policy coming from the White House need to match that or, or is it already? Yeah, I experienced it myself, Joe. Uh, best of you and Jeannie for the holidays. And I had 24 people over at my house on huh. Christmas Eve, and I had hoarded enough get, uh, test kits to <laughs> test everybody as so I sat in their car in front of my house. But you and, had to and, hoard them, which is the problem here. 
I had to hoard them. It took me three weeks to accumulate that many. And and I actually found one of the, the people who were going to come to the party had COVID, tested oh, positive, geez. used up my last extra test. In your driveway. And, uh, in my driveway. And so uh, I think I'm just a microcosm of what's going on all around the country. And I think any day that goes by that the White House doesn't do something related to uh, uh, Omicron or COVID yeah. uh, is is a missed opportunity. So what we saw today is the president hopping on the call with governors, 25 of them. I suspect most, if not all of them, were Democrats. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Although Asa Hutchinson was talking there. Asa Hutchinson was talking. <laughs> yes, he indeed. was not going to lose his opportunity to get on the phone <laughs> with the president of the United States. And, uh, and, I, and I think, you know, that's just going to be par for the course. I mean, this is the Omicron winter. And I think we're right back to where the headline every day is going to be coronavirus. So let me ask you both about the airline, domestic airline mandate that's suddenly uh, back in the conversation. I don't know exactly how that got started with the line from uh, Anthony Fauci, but if it's something he's recommending the president do, I suspect it's something that could happen, Jeannie. Would that be smart politics? You know, the president hasn't said yes or no to this, as we've no. discussed, but you have many uh, people in the healthcare industry and, 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 and doctors and nurses who are saying we should do this. It, you know, if you need a, a vaccination to fly internationally, mm -hmm. you should really uh, have one domestically. And, you know, the president doesn't seem at this point prepared to do that. But I think it's something he's going to have to think seriously about. And of course, one thing back to just the president's conversation today, he rejected this report out of Vanity Fair, which said that in October, people had gone to the White House and urged the administration to purchase and, and get about 732 million tests. And the White House, the president said today that that wasn't the case. Right. But that is the report. And I think it's one of the things in the aftermath of this that people are going to be talking about. How badly did the White House bungle this when it comes to tests? Because I'm glad Rick was able to get them. I will tell you the lines in New York, and oh, I know where you guys are dreadful. in D.C., are yeah. tremendous to get access to these tests. Amazing to see them, you know, wrapping around the block. It really is. It really does bring me back. Rick, what do you think about a vax card to get on an airplane for domestic travel? Is it really different than than international travel? Should we should we have some special right because we're not coming in from out of the country? You can't even go into a restaurant in New York or soon D.C. or Boston. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, we're, we're, we're really creating uh, two Americas, right? A vaccinated America that can go to restaurants and fly internationally and a unvaccinated America who's going to be limited in what their choices are. Just imagine the reaction and, and that think, Joe Biden would get, though. Yeah, and I think that it, part of it is, is weighing the economic impact. Um, you know, the airlines have been on their backs. I mean, we talk about all these cancellations, but at least they had bookings. I mean, like right. uh, uh, it, it, this time in 2020, those airlines weren't flying and they were and it cost the U.S. government taxpayer money, 50 billion dollars to bail them out. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to see that again. Right. And so is this the right time to choke off the ability for people to fly when we have a lot of experts saying, uh, as the airline executives did last week before the holidays, uh, airplanes may be one of the safest, safest place places there are. So uh, I think I think the the thing I'm seeing is the CDC is trying very hard not to disrupt and create disturbances to people's businesses and their families. And so they're reducing quarantine times. They're they're not taking these kinds of steps to to hurt the economy. And I think 
That's the balancing act that this administration has to do. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano with us for the hour here on Bloomberg Sound On. Coming up, we turn to the political lessons learned in 2021, beginning with COVID, that will define 2022. A discussion ahead with Adam Goodman, Republican strategist partner at Ballard Partners here in Washington. Stay with us. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. We welcome Adam Goodman, Republican strategist, columnists and partner at Ballard Partners here in the nation's capital, the first ever Edward R. Murrow Senior Fellow at Tufts University's Fletcher School. Adam, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Great to be back, Joe. As we consider political lessons learned in 2021, we're going to tick through a couple of them and maybe even uh, some warnings for the new year. I wonder if there's a chance to learn one more lesson, Adam, as Dr. Anthony Fauci says it is reasonable to consider a vaccine requirement for domestic flights. This is something that the White House has been talking about. They had a big uh, briefing today, big COVID briefing. Politically speaking, do you see that as a good idea? I actually think uh, it was a natural idea. I mean, gone are the days of confidence that somehow we've got COVID handled and it's going to be a time-limited uh, phenomenon that America will work through and get back to normal. I think now you're you're looking at a different approach to COVID. You saw that with the president's press conference uh, two weeks ago, where I think a year ago he would have talked about things that would have been read as lockdown. He have completely avoided all that, knowing that that is code for uh, you're in trouble politically. Yeah. And then you saw, of course, the former president, uh, Trump, in that rally with O'Reilly, talking about getting the booster shot. Both the president and I are vaxxed. And uh, did you get the booster? Yes. I got it, too. Okay, so... Um, oh, don't, 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 don't. There's been an evolution from certainty to kind of rolling with the punches in the Fauci statement about possibly vaccinating passengers on airplanes was probably a natural progression in the, 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 in the discussion. But frankly, I think that the country has moved from uh, weariness with uh, COVID to a kind of almost resignation that it's here, that a lot of people I think are, they are fearful or just accepting that they're going to get it yes. at some point yep. and that somehow we're going to get through it. I've heard more people than ever say that even over this holiday weekend, people saying, Joe, you know, we're all getting it at some point, right? Uh, it goes back to the old ride it like a cowboy line from Donald Trump. How does Joe Biden manage COVID without imposing mandates? Well, the more you prescribe what you can and cannot do in the in the age of COVID, the more trouble you find yourself in. Uh, the more you project any kind of confidence that somehow we've come over the hill and you know the the blue sky is right is just ahead uh, creates problems. You saw you know in the early days of this, Joe uh, Cuomo, Camelot, and all those press conferences basically saying we've got this. Then you saw the other side of this. You saw governors like Governor Whitmer in Michigan and elsewhere who are criticized heavily for trying to, for what they saw as going overboard to control this. I think right now what the president needs to do is keep a very steady hand and a very humble hand in moving through COVID, which no leader across the planet has handled uh, and handled well. As we consider lessons uh, from this year that could define politics in 2022, one of the biggest is inflation. It actually helped define 21 in a way that this White House, I suspect, preferred that it would not. We're done with the word transitory here, Adam. So what is the new reality when it comes to inflation? Does this White House need to learn to live with it? 
uh, they can't learn to live with it because going back to the the economy stupid with James Carville, the economy right now is being defined more than ever by pricing. And you saw the jump in October in inflation, the biggest in 30 years. In November, the CPI was up 7%. Gas prices are up 58% for the year. That's the biggest jump in 41 years. Food is up 13%. Americans get it that uh, inflation is a tax increase. And so, Joe, as Congress tries to push bills that many Americans don't want, the real bills are coming due for what they actually need. Okay, so what does that mean for Build Back Better for the rest of the Biden economic agenda? The problem with Build Back Better, there's some pieces of it, I think, that are would be very popular if communicated directly to the American public. The problem is they put it all together. It has a huge price tag. And I think, frankly, Senator Manchin, in my opinion, never intended to vote for that because of that, because it was just too much too soon at a time when he saw inflation about to raise or rear its ugly head. And uh, I think what the Democrats are going to do, Joe, a prediction for 22, I think they're going to come off of this build back better as is. And they're going to push something else to try to take its place, to try to trim what I think is going to be a very grim midterm. Is that voting reform? That's going to be election reform. That's voting reform. Yeah. Okay. So here we are. As we discuss the lessons from 21 that will define 22, you have carved out the greatest threat to democracy in 2022. Joe, election integrity is the biggest threat to democracy because democracy is all based on people having faith and confidence in it. And and it's not just a a partisan thing. It was back in 2000, after the 16 elections, uh, 40% of Democrats, according to a big popular poll, 40% of Democrats saw Hillary Clinton as legitimate winner. 40%. Uh, And then it was in reverse in 2020 when more than 40% of Republicans saw Donald Trump as a legitimate winner. If you don't have faith in that, everything else starts to unravel. And it goes back, frankly, to an experience I had in 2000 in Florida when I was in the middle of the Florida recount. And the biggest thing uh, I was hoping for and trying to push for in my humble way was integrity in the process, because if we, we knew if we lost that, everything else comes to cropper. So uh, and, the, and the, the, the issue with voting integrity actually weds to something else academia, uh, which is another major piece of what's ahead for us in 22, that this nation needs to find a way to resolve, short of which I think we're going to be facing much harsher uh, times and consequences than even COVID has brought on this nation over the last 24 months. Adam Goodman, partner at Ballard Partners, the first Edward R. Murrow Senior Fellow at Tufts University's Fletcher School. It's great to compare notes with you. As ever, Adam, happy new year and come see us again in 22. Looking forward to it, Joe. Have a good one. So if Adam is right, 2022 will be defined by COVID, okay, inflation and voting rights. All against the backdrop of the midterms. And as he says, a lack of integrity or lack of confidence in the process. I have to admit that sounds a lot like 2021. Need to run this all by the panel coming up. Rick and Jeannie will be with us. Noteworthy to see President Biden today in his meeting with the governors that's come up a couple times this hour as a video conference, to be clear, pledging to support state-led efforts to combat the current COVID surge. Going so far as to say there is no federal solution. 
We'll talk more about it with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, our signature panel today. As we clear out the cobwebs between holidays on a Monday, I'm glad you're with us on the fastest hour in politics. We'll check markets and traffic next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The big headline today on Build Back Better, the president's... It's been a while since we've called it soft infrastructure. You know what I'm talking about. came from Vice President Kamala Harris saying the White House is not giving up. Not her, not the president. Told Face the Nation on CBS the stakes are too high. Similar to what Cecilia Rouse told us on Bloomberg just moments after the story broke that it would be moving into next year if, as we then learned at all, and there are now a lot of questions about this plan against the backdrop of COVID, it, the beginning of a midterm election year. And after listening to Adam Goodman talk about lack of integrity in the system, it does make you wonder if we're about to replay this whole year all over again. Reassembling the panel... Rick Davis here, Jeannie Shanzano. I don't mean to give you both nightmares before the program is over. As God, we would like to move on from all of these stories at some point, but I wonder if he's onto something with that, Rick, or at least what I'm taking from the conversation is that 22 could really be a replay of 21, at least when it comes to the challenges. Yeah, I think that uh, the ones he mentioned, uh, obviously, our domestic democracy, the integrity of voting rights, uh, inflation, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and the COVID are not unique to the United States. In fact, mm-hmm. I would argue that virtually every democracy in the world right now is, is, is having those three challenges, their economy, their health care, and their, and their democracy. And so uh, I really think this is a moment where we have to rely on leadership. Uh, part of the reason we haven't undermined uh, confidence in our voters and democracy is because we told them to be uh, 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 not confident. Uh, our own leaders went out and said, you can't trust the vote. And so when we have people like that going out and, and, and even to this day, still prosecuting the 2020 election, hmm. uh, uh, it's no wonder that then the same people go on and say, oh my God, the voters are really upset with the election. Well, that's because you told them to be. So I think that- Are you talking we- about Donald Trump and, and his supporters or does this cross over? It, it depends on what country you're in. Losers always appeal, right? I mean, <laughs> okay. like, gotcha. you know, and so so I think that, sure, that applies to them, uh, even to this day. And uh, and yet in virtually every country now, the standard is um, uh, don't ever concede. And uh, I just remember standing next to John McCain when he conceded uh, his loss to Barack Obama in 2008 mm-hmm. and, and, and talked about how important the transfer of power is. And, and, and that concession speech was played around the world uh, as, the, as the way for great nations to transfer power. And we got to get back to that kind of dialogue when it comes Boy. to voting rights. What a contrast, Jeannie, when you hear Rick describe that 
this is not going away. We've we heard Donald Trump uh, talking about fake election results just in the last couple of weeks. And as the midterms get going, I suspect he's going to get back on the trail, as will many of his supporters who either believe that or like to say it publicly. That's right. And, you know, I think as we think back to the beginning of last year or this year, January 6th and what happened, and we're learning more and more from the committee and the investigation, and we're going to continue to learn more as we move into the first year anniversary of that. It is frightening when you think about how close we came. And so, you know, that committee needs to be allowed to do its work so it can tell the American public exactly what happened, who funded it, who's responsible, and how we can ensure that never happens again. But I would also add, I think President Biden has been right on something he said over and over again from the time he ran for office, which is that American democracy needs to show it can deliver for its people. And we have not been able to show that. And I'm not sure he's given us a pathway to do that, but he's right in terms of what he's saying. You have to make sure that elections have consequences. If you vote for Joe Biden to deliver on police reform, voting reform, human infrastructure, and all the rest, then the democracy has to be responsive to that and has to deliver. And whether you're Republican or Democrat in the modern era that is not happening and that is a huge challenge because people begin to feel elections don't matter because they vote and what they vote for doesn't happen because of politics so what happens to voting rights for democrats in the first quarter of the year i'm assuming that's what you're giving them in terms of a timeline Jeannie. Yeah, and I think it's going to be very hard because even if, and that's a big even, they are able to do some kind of, you know, reform to the filibuster and pass voting rights, unless it's passed with Republican support, at least some Republican support, it's going to be seen as something that Democrats are doing that they have not done in a bipartisan manner, that they are doing to maintain their own power base and doesn't serve all Americans. And so even, and that's a big even, if you pass it, it's not going to be seen as something widely supported. And I fear when Republicans get into office, if they take over in the midterm or after, they will try to push through changes to that. And so, you know, either way, it is a big, big challenge for American democracy. There's a lot there, Rick Davis. I can't imagine uh, that you're going to get, let's see here, early voting, mail-in ballots, and a national voter ID in the same piece of legislation. That's essentially what Jeannie is saying would have to be done. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, in order to be able to accomplish those things, you need a supermajority in Congress, and they don't have it. Yeah. And and so the reality is uh, the idea that now that Biden, President Biden is saying, oh, well, you know, uh, it's okay to bust the filibuster rule for voting rights. Well, he wouldn't do it for his own reconciliation package, but now he wants to do it for voting rights. This is just a page turner, right? Don't pay any attention to the Build Back Better plan anymore. We're going to pivot to voting rights and try and make a stand there. Mm -hmm. Last I heard, the same guy who was a problem for Biden administration on on the Build Back Better plan is the same guy who's a problem for busting the filibuster, and that's Joe Manchin. And I think if they keep going at these kinds of windmills and striking at windmills the way they're doing, they're going to they're going to really look bad in the course of the 2022 midterms. You know, when he was talking about election integrity, uh, Jeannie, Adam Goodman also pointed out 
the other big threat that he saw, which was intolerance, I think if, if, if I'm repeating the words that he chose, intolerance on campus, he said it was intolerance in academia. Uh, you work in academia. Is he right? I think there is a good amount of that, and I think that We're it is something that has We're talking free speech here on campus, right? Free speech on campus. You know, when you have, you know, people invited to speak on campus who are turned away, and we've seen examples of it on both sides of the aisle because of their political beliefs and, and their ideology, that becomes a problem. Do I think that's the biggest problem? No, I don't. But I think it's something you hear an awful lot about, and I think it's particularly true in uh, campuses where you have, um, you know, you have uh, sort of a population that is unwilling to be open to, you know, sort of other ideas. And, yeah. and that's particularly problematic. And it's on both sides of the aisle. And it does need to be addressed. Uh, campuses, Rick, are becoming a partisan battleground. And maybe that's not new. Uh, but if it keeps going in this direction, what does it mean for politics in the new year? You know, I, I, I agree with the point you just made, Joe. I mean, I don't think campuses have ever been void of a partisan battleground. I mean, I grew up as a college Republican and, you know, we had politics at the University of Alabama just yeah. the same way they're having it today. And we argued about free speech. We argued about these same issues. Um, you look back in the 1950s where campuses were under pressure to try and purge all their uh, professors and students who were socialists. I mean, actually to watch campuses similar to what Adam was talking about when, when he said that it could be a battleground, it's it's not so much because it's unusual to be a battleground. It's what are those issues that being are being fought over, sure. and and the fact that democracy is one of those things it is actually the best way to teach civics is to actually have an argument over democracy. And I, I think, think that's a, actually a, a positive. There's a thought though that certain uh, opinions are not allowed on on liberal college campuses, which I'm, I I think is the the direction that Adam Goodman was going in. Is that just just part of the course? Or is that becoming a problem for you as a conservative? No, I think that that's always been a fight on campus, right? I mean, you know, conservatives don't go to Berkeley yeah. and liberals don't go to Alabama. Right. I mean, like, and, and so and when they do, there's a fight. And those are healthy fights. I mean, like we actually know more about the First Amendment and our rights to speech because of the fights like that than we would have otherwise known it. And because we don't teach civics in high school anymore, we got to learn it later in life. And these are the great ways of doing that is raw political debate. Rick's making me feel pretty good here, Jeannie. I think we all need, we need to do a broadcast from the campus with Jeannie Shanzano's class. Um, that said, and we just saw an election uh, in Virginia that brought schools into the conversation to a major degree, when you start going to K through 12, there are political implications and there are lines that have been drawn, Gene. Well, I agree with that. And, and that's what I meant when I was saying that I do think the college campus issue of free speech is important, but I don't think it's the most important issue. I think if we continue to see these fights at boards of education, schools yeah. closed, parents frustrated, that's where elections are going to be decided. And New Virginia, rather, is a perfect example of that. You saw a very frustrated population, and rightly so. And that all has has to be addressed, and it's going to be addressed at the local level, which is the fascinating part of this. And Rick, Republicans have seized upon that, or will, as a major theme in this midterm election year. 
The best education systems are controlled by local school boards. That's a Republican theology. It always has been, and it's always been the battleground for how we get into suburban communities. So maybe we're all over it. it. That's right, we are. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, we'll see you back here tomorrow. On Bloomberg Sound On, I'm Joe Matthew. It's great to be back with you. We'll meet you here this time tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.